I'm Brandon Carey. I'm Jason Grady. This is the Medic Class Citizen Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. We want to pick up where we left off in the last episode where we were talking with Chris Bowman, a brand new paramedic graduate about his experience throughout his paramedic program. So today we want to talk about Chris's very first call as a paramedic, which toned out just a few hours after he got his state numbers. And we want to talk about how his paramedic school experience shaped his performance on this call. So go ahead and take a listen. Your department released you to practice on your own. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that day. So I go to work, I'm on shift. Uh, I get the email from the state trauma office, EMS office. I got my numbers at like 1050, 1048, something like that. Couldn't have been an hour and a half later. First call ever as a paramedic. Tones out unconscious before we get in the truck. Turns out to 31-year-old male, cardiac arrest, mm. CPR initiated. Is Dwight your partner yeah, at that point? Through, <laughs> okay, good. Every day it's been Dwight, yeah. So good, we good. get in the truck and he's like, can't believe it. You're first one. Look what you get. And so I'm like, all right, here we go. Showtime, you know. Let's yeah. get the let's get the big one out of the way, you know. Icebreaker. Uh, we go to it. Um, um, busy little apartment complex. We walk in. Um, I'm the f- there's police on scene doing kind of some type of some form of CPR. Um, uh, female on scene turned out to be the wife. She's there, emotional. I walk in. Uh, the male is on the floor, kind of leaned against the couch. Um, do a quick pulse check. Didn't feel anything. Laid him down. Quick look at the pupil. I mean, this is all instant. Quick look at the pupils, and began CPR. Crew arrived. Kinda. So, so let, let's back up just a second. And if you're if you're thinking back, tell me honestly, when you walked in and saw that. I mean, you're not a seasoned paramedic, right? You see your first coming. I mean, we all remember our first cardiac arrest, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's pretty nerve wracking. Was it? How, how nerve wracking was it? Where to to be totally honest with you, it it wasn't. The amount of okay. codes we simulations we ran in school. Okay, it and we'll was, come back to that. But I just wanted to hear your yeah. Like when you no, saw I mean, it, was it like all right? I mean, I'm not go gonna to, let's go to work. Or, I'm not gonna fluff it and say no. I was cool and calm. No, but I felt prepared. Okay. I was not apprehensive. Good. Okay, so you started walk in, took over quick, chest compressions, super quick pulse check, looked at his eyes, just quick glance over, laid him supine, got hands on the chest, and by then everyone else walked started coming in and started delegating. We immediately started, dropped in a OPA, began ventilations 30 to 2, and placed pads on him, saw his original uh, initial cardiac rhythm. What was it? Uh, PEA, rate of about 45, 50, and just immediately started going down that protocol. And and there were some challenges on scene, right? Yeah, so um, got the pads on him, began CPR, um, was in my second round, pushed my first round to epi. Um, second round, went in to establish the airway. Uh, went in, noticed a little bit of fluid in the back of the throat and the pharynx. So I put the laryngoscope in, lifted up, and he just he began spewing. Um, extremely soiled airway. Um, called for suction, had suction handy. Turned it on, I go in, it does about a half of a second, and it just malfunctioned. Started flashing little error codes. Battery's fine. I checked it that morning. Don't know what happened, but as fate would have it, it happened at that moment. Um, called for the the rescue pump, so we started doing the the old school manual suction. Uh, did the job. Got it nice and clear. Uh, Do you have a hard time gathering any history at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, 
through uh, a few interactions, we realized that the only person on scene, the wife, was hearing impaired. Mm. So there was a little bit of an obstacle with that at first. Um, but we were able to get via um, one of my partners was texting with her. He pulled his phone out and real quick, and he was shouting to me what she was saying. I would ask him a question. He would get the answer and convey it to me. Um, so he had he had a phone. Would type or something, flip yeah. it around, she'd type so back. So what, what is your long-term partner preceptor doing at this point? He was the one. I was asking him to get history. He was so doing never... It. Never tried to take over. Never no, said, sir. "Hey, this is no. you don't need to be worrying about this on your first call." I let walked me, in. Let me do this. I walked in when I laid him supine. I had somebody on the chest doing compressions. I did a little head tilt, chin lift to put in the OPA. He walked in with his hands in his pockets. He said, "Chris, you good?" I said, "Yes, sir." <laughs> he said, "I'm gonna get you history." <laughs> All right. So cool. So, you- so we got him. Got him suctioned. Mm-hmm. Established an airway. End title was good. Proper verification. You know, all those routes. I knew that I had established a good airway, got it secured. I'm ventilating and I'm hearing my, my partner, one of my partners is ventilating, you know, every six seconds or so. And I hear a weird hissing sound. Something's not right. You know, the the chest rise isn't as good as it was. And the BVM has a hole. There's a hole in the reservoir bag now. Mm. So we had to go, somebody run and get the truck and go to go to the truck and get a new bag and a couple little equipment malfunctions, but we worked through it. Yeah. So... During that moment on scene in the house, everything's working, everything's moving. Did you, what was your thought process like? Do you, did you fall back and be completely honest? Did you fall back to the thought processes we tried to put into you at school or was Absolutely. it like? Yeah. And I, I immediately reverted. It's kind of weird. I reverted back to my very first mega code scenario when I, I learned the most when I get things wrong, when I do something wrong. It makes it really aware in my face. You missed this because of this reason. And for some reason, that fact that I missed is then like cemented pretty well. So I just immediately went to back to that first mega code scenario mm. and heard what my instructor told me at that time. And that corrected what I was previously thinking that was incorrect. So I went back to that. Um, but I'm interested I, saw, to know. I saw the ACLS algorithm in my head and just kind of went to the flowchart. But was that because there was one time in one class that someone said, Here's an algorithm. This is what you do. Okay, now we're going to move on to OBGYN. Mm-mm. No, not so at all. No. What was it about repetition the, and the clinical setting? So, how many mega codes did you run in the sim lab um, on paper by voice? All those put together in the time you spent in paramedic school. How many mega codes did you do? Oh, if you no, had a just no, ballpark. Uh, 75, probably more. And of those 75, at what point did you say, I got this, this is getting ridiculous? <laughs> be honest. But number 10? You better be honest. Probably 10. Probably about number probably 10. Probably 10. 10. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then like uh, we were discussing earlier, you know, you're in a lab and, you know, we're told, hey, y'all get in your group, do a small group study session, you know, go over shockable arrest. And, you know, we all go through it. So there's a group of four or five. We watch every. So we're we're a part of basically five, and we're going around and around. And it's it was challenging, like to the new student that's listening. You know, mm-hmm. you get about middle ways to the program, and you're like, I got this. You know, this is this is redundant. You know, maybe there isn't even a mannequin on the floor. You guys are just verbalizing this. It's in like an oral scenario, and you're mm-hmm. just like, you know, I'm exhausted. I've been working all night the night before. Am I getting anything out of this? Why am I here? But I promise you. 
soaking in. Let so, that, yeah. so at that time, as you're staring into the eyes of a 31-year-old who mm-hmm. should never go into cardiac arrest, and now this 31-year-old is is dead, clinically mm-hmm. dead, mm-hmm. and you've got a choice to either do it right, right, or or run and hide saying, hey, I just got my numbers. Right. I can't be expected to know this stuff this this well right now. So what did you think about the 75 mega codes you had to run up to that point? <laughs> it, I didn't have to think about it. It came back to it. I guess it was the repetition. It just, without thinking about it, the, uh, to be totally honest, the only issue I had was time management, mm. making sure that my epis were, th- were within the recommended range, making sure that I'm doing my appropriate rhythm checks at the right time. Gotcha. Just, that was the only thing that I was really focusing on. Like, don't mess this up. Watch your clock. So let's let's put you in the ambulance. You, now, did you did you guys were you doing manual compressions? Uh, were you using a device of any kind? Yeah, so, Lucas uh, device or we anything? did we did maybe four minute three four minutes of manual CPR. Engine crew showed up. We have a Lucas device. Placed the patient on that. Um, so we're using Lucas for compressions. Once the airway was established, you know, mechanical ventilation, and. Um, I had a person at the head, a person at the foot. I had a person kind of taking notes as far as time stamping. And, uh, Did you have him on cabinography? Yes. Yeah. So originally uh, when the airway was established, we had him up and he stayed a consistent probably 12 to 15 um, throughout. Um, about 20 minutes in, uh, when I paused for before I paused for rhythm check, looking at the monitor, I saw that his PEA had, had jumped. Uh, his rhythm had jumped to a rate of around 100. And his complex had shortened and gotten really narrow. So I was really optimistic for that next rhythm check. And the two minutes was up. I paused, felt he was around 120, 110, 120 uh, beats per minute. Strong carotid, mm. decent femoral. Did you see any changes on entitled? Yeah, work? yeah. Right when I was about to hit pause on the Lucas, he jumped to 64, 65. Mm-hmm. Now, was this in the back of the truck or was this, this was on, on scene? scene? This was on scene. Great. It was right before my fourth epi. So I paused, did that rhythm check, and I saw this. So I was really optimistic when I saw those changes on the EKG before I... So what did that feel like? <laughs> you, know, you can replicate you can replicate the code. You can replicate the call. In a lab, you can't replicate that feeling of joy and happiness. Mm. This is a real life. I'm looking at his wife. It was like, this is why I'm doing this. One, one of the things, that, the paradigm shifts that we're trying to change is, well, ROSC isn't everything. Right. Was that running through your head at all? Were you like, okay, we got ROSC, but I know... Yeah, that that, I, that doesn't mean once I got Rosk. Once I got Rosk, I thought about my clinicals in the ICU. <laughs> to okay. be honest with you, good, good. I saw. I, I thought about the future he had ahead of him. Yeah, and, and you and you know that that's not guaranteed. Right. Still at this point, right? Still, no. just because you got Rosk, that doesn't mean he's going to make it. I, to ICU. It was a joy. Like okay, he has a shot. Yeah. Not we've made it. There you go. He has a shot. So you he's back. He's back in the game. Yeah. So you get him in the back of the truck. He's back in the game. Yep. You're you're doing pretty good at yep. this point. So we the get whole him, team is doing good. We secure him. Yeah. Uh, we immediately get him on a backboard, get him out in the, on the stretcher, get him out in the truck, do a full reassessment. First thing I thought about was in school. You were saying, <laughs> always check the tube. Mm-hmm. Always. Anytime they're moved, anytime they're bumped, any to, before you get to the hot, continue to reassess and make sure you're placed well. Uh, did that. The tube survived the transition from house to truck. Um, he now was off of any type of compression or any type of... Uh, you know, medication for five, six minutes at this point. Still had a heart rate of 115, blood pressure 130 over 80, and tidal, uh, it was about 50. I was having a little bit of trouble getting it getting it down just a little. Uh, by the time we got to the hospital, it was in the 40s. 
low 40s. Um, but just just excited, continuing to monitor. I, I literally sat back and just was thinking out loud. I was telling the team, good job. Yeah. I have this done. I have this done. I have this done. My report's called, you know. All right. Uh, so you, you, you back into the hospital. You get him out of the back of the truck. Tell me your thought process from that moment where you, you kind of hop down on, onto the bumper, I was thinking this is so boots cool. on the ground. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm about to have my 30 seconds of silence, so this right? This is the coolest job ever. So, um, so how'd that go? You walk in and everybody's looking at who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, Dwight, where are you? <laughs> well, they probably were looking at him. They were like, yeah. all right, Dwight, what yeah. you got? Yeah. But uh, no, I, I uh, just went in and it's quick. Uh, if somebody says you get 30 seconds of silence, I would say... I don't know where you are, but that's extremely generous. So you get 30 <laughs> seconds. But um, now just quick, tell them what they need to know. Tell them what you did. Tell mm-hmm. them how you found them, what they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always nerve-wracking, of, you know. Were you saying to yourself what you were planning on saying on the way yeah, in? Yeah, when I was walking in, yeah, I was like, <laughs> okay, what is the first thing I'm going to say that, yeah. you know what I mean, that, that, that shows them that I'm taking this serious, mm-hmm. you know. We're not ambulance drivers anymore. All right, cool. So continue to have Rosk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, continued to have uh, Rosk. Um, he remained stable. Um, his vitals, no regain of any type of, no improvement in mental status mm. or GCS at the time. Um, when when I handed that off, I hung around and I waited for the physician to leave. And then I asked for like a little personal consult with the physician, asked about uh, what she thought about my delivery. How could have I, how could I have improved mm-hmm. my care for the patient? Mm. What could I have done better? And then I asked her what she believed was going to happen. What was her prognosis? So at that point, you, I mean, that's the really cool part about this is that you had a connection to your patient. It was like, please don't call this. Please give him a chance. Is is that kind of what you're thinking in your head? Yeah, I'm sure y'all have felt that, you know, you're out there at their house, you're with them, you know, there's a personal connection. You want, you got a dog in the fight, you know, Mm -hmm. you've invested this time and this emotional effort into the patient, you know. So, so you're not invested or want the best for him. So how did it feel whenever you found out that he made it past that and then they sent him upstairs? Oh, it felt good. You know, I mean, it's like, Hey, he's, he's still in it. There's still a shot. You know, you know, I have I had my thoughts. I had my worries for the Mm -hmm. patient, maybe what him and his family had to face in the future. But you know, you still kind of got that voice. It's like, it's possible, you know, Mm -hmm. still got good vitals, you know, (laughs) this thing could maybe work out good for him. You, you wish the best for him and his family and you, hope what you did was enough to help him out the best you could at the time. Absolutely. So not to put you on the spot to try to come up with three things, but could you come up with three of the most important things that got you from the start of paramedic school to the end of where you are today? Um, hmm. Want, wanting to do it. As basic as that sounds, you just really have to be passionate about it. You just You have to be in it for the right reasons. You have to put yourself second and just realize, and I, like I told Brandon once I, through the end of the program, oftentimes in, in EMT school, paramedic school, it's every day you're learning about serious things that, that are happening. Serious, worst case, critical interventions you can do or critical things that are going on with the patient. And a lot of the time you can almost get disillusioned when you get out there and it's a vast majority or pe- people don't even need to go to a hospital, period, nonetheless be on an ambulance. And so just realizing that throughout the, throughout that time in medical school, you're doing it for that small portion where you are their only shot. You, okay. are, you are that stabilizer. So so one, you, you yeah. really, really want to do it and probably for the drive. right reasons. So you have to be yeah. driven to do it. Okay. Give us the other two. Um, like I said, uh, putting the patient first, 
realizing that this job isn't always going to be fun life saves or critical interventions. But regardless of what the call, you can make a positive impact in their life. So realizing, you know, that the importance of that. And then I would say uh, third was just the um, just the desire to expand the knowledge. Just, you know, even if it's even if it's not something that you can help or correct at the time, just being able to learn about the disease process to be able to connect a little bit better with your patient, even if you're not doing anything for them, if you're just transferring them. Hey, I put the time and effort into learning about whatever their past medical history is, whatever that disease is, and just, you know, just wanted to do right by my patients. So last last question for me. Um, I've heard you mention Dwight many, many times mm-hmm. in your, <clears throat> excuse me, not your, just your training, but the way that you treat patients. Um, what, the way that Dwight dealt with you and the way that he helped you, instructed you, educated you. And in sometimes probably did more by his silence and stepping back, um, probably did more for you than him telling you what to do, just him giving you that latitude. How will that change the way that you become a preceptor? Yeah, just just like he did and like what you just said, your actions, you know, more about exactly what you said, you know, your attitude on a call, the way you treat a patient, the way your body language on a call, bend down. Talk to them on their level, you know, um, make them personalize the job, you know, um, that's what I want to do for, if I get the opportunity to precept new medics, just show them these are, these are real people. These are critical moments in their life. You know, humble yourself for a second, take it serious, make the best of it. You got to go on the call either way. Don't understand why people are so miserable on it. You know, (laughs) well, that that's the last assignment I want to give you. Yeah. Be somebody's Dwight. Yep. All right. (laughs) I'll try. You can do it. I'll try. You've been listening to Medic Class Citizen. If you like what you heard, check out our website at www.medicclasscitizen.com. Also, find us on social media where you can follow, like, subscribe, and share. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we also have videos on YouTube. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.